You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. We call it slicking the bean, choking the chicken, giving yourself a hand, auditioning finger puppets. There's a million and one names for the old five-finger shuffle, and yet hundreds of millions of people are unable to sauce the taco due to disability, aging, or illness. That's where we come in, if you'll pardon the phrase. At Bumpin', we've created the world's first accessible sex toy, so people with limited mobility, hand issues, and disabilities can celebrate Palm Sunday just like everyone else. If you agree that everyone deserves sexual pleasure, help us spread the self-love and fund an orgasm for those in need. Give the gift of the big O at getbumpin.com. That's G-E-T-B-U-M-P-N dot com. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at Clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. Hey Andrew, how are you? Hey Kristen. I'm okay, but if I'm really honest, I haven't been doing super great lately. I'm kind of super, really, really down. Oh no, I'm sorry to hear that. What? Well, you and I talk all the time. We talk every day. And you know I've been thinking about going to therapy, but I've been mm-hmm. to therapists before, and I'm afraid that a therapist wouldn't understand all my disability stuff. And you know how much I love talking about disability, right? Yeah, I hear you have like a whole podcast about it. Right? I mean, yeah. I talk about it all the time, everywhere. And I'm just yeah. worried that I don't want to explain to a therapist, like, what is ableism? What is disability? Like, I don't want to do that before we get into my stuff, you know? Yeah, that's fair. You shouldn't have to, like, fully educate a therapist before starting a therapeutic process. And I think that's really hard because, honestly, you deserve support from someone who gets it. You get it? You're my best, you, like, you're my best friend. You get it? What do you think I should do? I mean, I think you should find a disability-informed support person to help you work through this if 
anyone listening to this is interested, I'm actually offering disability informed support for $40 per session. Whoa, whoa, $40 a session? That's super cheap. The last time I checked, one session was like over a hundred bucks, but we can still talk about disability stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. Like everything from like physical changes in your body to ableism and exploring internalized ableism, grief that comes with disability, chronic pain, all that good, terrible stuff that so many of us live experience. It's so fun, isn't it? It's it's so great. Yes. And I, I know you also do, you also offer support for non-disabled people too, right? Yeah, I do support for able-bodied and non-disabled people as well because really, I mean, everyone gets sick or experiences illness or vulnerability at some time in their life. And well, that's a different experience than living with chronic disability. I think it's all very related. And if you're going through any sort of life change where you're having grief related to bodily change or body difference, I'm more than happy to support you with that as well. I think everybody deserves and needs affordable support. I think that it's such a great thing you're offering and I want to make sure that all the lovely listeners of Disability After Dark can reach you. How do they do that? Okay, well, right now they can reach me by email. It's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S one zero at gmail.com and you can email me there to ask me questions or uh, let me know if you'd like more information or you can go straight to booking a support session with me. Awesome. Well, I, I can't I can't speak any more highly of this amazing thing. I'm so excited that there's finally disability-centered support for stuff like ableism and for stuff like internalized ableism and all the stuff that we go through that we never get to talk about. And thank you so much for offering it and for putting yourself out there, Kristen. Aw, thanks, Andrew. I hope you feel better soon. Me too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on episode 316 of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your deliciously disabled daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Let us get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get today started, shall we? First things first, if you want to support this awesome program, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark, and you can pledge as little as $1 a month or up to $5 a month or more to get the show completely ad-free one day early on the feed, on our very special Patreon feed, Um, and you'll also get a cool, awkward shout-out from me on the show, and I'm also looking to do... I'm considering doing an exclusive series on the program. I I know I said that I didn't want to put anything behind a paywall. And eventually I will put 
the the series that I do on the Patreon out to the world. But I'm considering doing an exclusive series or cool different things to entice you to support the show if you're able to. So if you want to consider doing that, um, email us at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com and let me know what kind of things on the Patreon you would want to, want to have access to. Do you want behind the scenes? Do you want cool stuff like that? Let me know. On the show today, though, I have the awesome privilege of sitting down with my friend, Denise Donato. Now, we recorded this back in May of 2022, and I had the opportunity to sit down with her and talk about her experience of living as somebody with spinal muscular atrophy. We talk a lot about her experience of home care and needing attendant care as a disabled person and what that experience is like for her, and I really, really appreciated this part of the conversation because I too am somebody who requires attendant care and so to sit down and kind of give you the listener a glimpse of what it is to receive care from somebody, how it makes us feel, our experiences in needing care, that was a really important part of the conversation. We also talk a lot about the importance of health care for disabled people because Denise works as a program manager for the New York State Department of Health, and we talk a lot about ways to make healthcare more accessible and how important that is. We also talk about so many more things around Denise's life as a disabled person. I remember that we talked a little bit about um, her experience of intimacy and disability. There's a lot that we talk about here, and I'm really, really excited to bring you this interview because I think it gives you an important glimpse of people with complex disabilities who need care and how they live their lives. And Denise is a really fierce, strong advocate for disabled people, and you'll see that throughout this interview. So I'm really excited to bring this to you. Without further ado, here's my interview with my friend, Denise Dinero, right here on Disability After Dark. Denise, hi. Hey, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks it's for having a, me on. Of course. Thank you for being. We we tried to re, we tried to schedule this like at least three or four times now, and I'm so happy. Thank you for being so flexible and for being here. Um, it's exciting because we started off as internet friends, and then you were in Toronto for for something. I was. I had, was in Toronto for the Rotary International Conference. That's right. Two years ago. Yeah. Which would have been like... What, 2018, I, want... I think. Wow. It was that long ago already? Yeah. Yeah, it wow. was. Wow. It's I, weird. I, well, it's weird because the whole two years of just kind of... Sitting. On yeah. On. Yes. Yeah. And the whole, you know, um, everything before 2020 just seems like forever ago. Yeah. It feels like a century ago. Yes, it does. Yeah, really long time. But I'm so happy. We had such a fun time that day. That and like, night. We had so fun that night. We had dinner. Yeah. It was great. It was a good time. And so I was so excited to see when you applied to be on the show. I'm so excited we were finally doing it. So here we are. Um, uh, and I would love for you to introduce yourself to the Disability After Dark audience. Tell us who you are, what you do. Sure. 
Sure. So my name is Denise Denoto, and I live just outside of Albany, New York. Albany is the capital city in New York State. Uh, so I have a job. I actually just got a new job uh, working for the New York State Department of Health in the Yay, cool. Health Program. Uh, so my, my day job is to uh, work to build a more inclusive public health infrastructure to ensure that people with disabilities have are afforded the same opportunities um, with public health programs as their non-disabled peers. And uh, I'm also an advocate for people with dis disabilities for home care, particularly for self-directed home care, which allows people with disabilities to hire and control their own home care staff. Uh, I, I also am a Rotarian, and so I volunteer in my community uh, to help increase literacy and access to clean water and uh, to help improve child and maternal health. Those are some of the causes that my Rotary Club supports. And I am, let's see, I am a, a heterosexual woman uh, who identifies as single at the moment um, and have been single for a while but uh, I have had relationships with other people and uh, am not closed off to the idea of a relationship, but honestly, given everything that's happened in the past two years, the idea of having to <laughs> worry about somebody else in addition to myself, oh, I don't know if I can do that right now. Yeah, yeah, of course. So you gave us a lot of background there. There was a lot of... There Sorry, just... was that too much? No, no, I love it. It's It's perfect, it's perfect. But I want to... I want to talk about some of those other background pieces. So before we get into like your personal experience of disability, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about um, your job. Yes. At the, and so what is your title? My official title is program manager for the New York State Department of Health, Disability and Health Program. And I'm not here today as a representative of the New York State. No, Department no, no. You're just here as Denise. But I, but I think... Denise. But I think that it's is a new really, job title for me. So yes, I think it's so valuable that they are they're putting their money where their mouth is in terms of actually hiring disabled people in the disability uh, in the you know disability arm of of New York State Public Health because yes. typically when we look at disability like or disability arms of organizations, mm -hmm. they'll have one guy who is like not disabled. It's like, yeah, I run this whole department. And you're like, great. Do you have any experience of or lived experience with disability? And they go, uh, not really, but like I met somebody once with a disability. And so, yeah, it's like, well, that's no, that's just some. so it makes me excited to know that, um, the New York State Department of Health is taking it, taking it seriously. It, it is a program that I've, I actually worked for this program in the past, um, and uh, it, it is a federal grant funded program, um, you know, that, that funds this program. And I left the position because the funding wasn't there to support my continued employment, but then I've continued to remain involved with it. Uh, there's an advisory group that helps uh, the department implement the strategies that are funded through the program. Right. I've stayed on the advisory group. So when the position opened up and I, I heard it was going to be opening, I thought, well, this is a great way to go back to public health yeah. and, and go back to something that I'm passionate about. You know, 
people with disabilities do not necessarily have bad health. You know, we have the same opportunity for health as anybody else. Yeah. And just because we're disabled doesn't necessarily mean that we are unhealthy. And yeah. we should have the same right to cancer screenings as non-disabled people. We should have the same right to um, health and wellness for diabetes self-management. Or to, you know, like pap smears. Right, exactly. And and cancer screening should be accessible. Yeah, yeah. Say that one more time really loud for everybody to listen. Cancer screening should be accessible. Yes, I agree. Yes, it really should. You know, Um, mammographies and, uh, you know, and getting access to paps and colonoscopies and all that stuff. Colonoscopy, yes, all of that. I'm going for my first colonoscopy. We're recording this in May. I'm going. Yes. I don't know when this will air, but I'm going in like a month and a half for my very first colonoscopy. And I can't tell you the amount of accessibility that I had to explain to them, but what I would need for yes. it to be accessible. And they were like, "Oh, we never, we don't. Oh, we never thought about that." And I was like, "I know, but you have to make it accessible." I so. yeah. So I am due for a mammogram, and uh, I scheduled it. And I had scheduled it on a Saturday. So I thought, oh, this will be great. I don't have to take a day off of work to get it yeah. done. And they called me and they said, well, we can't do it on a Saturday. We only have one person. And it says here that you use a wheelchair. So we're going to need to have two people here to do the exam. And uh, it's not safe. what they said was it's not safe for one person to be here when you come in. And I thought, well, okay, if it's not safe for me to come in with one person with the tech, why is it safe for someone else to come in on a Saturday yeah. and one person with the tech? Yeah. They just didn't choose their words correctly. Um, but I, I said, you know what? We're picking our battles here. I'll reschedule and go in at another time. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, I don't, if you're going to, if the tech is going to be uncomfortable working with me, I don't want to necessarily work with that tech. Of course. I want to work course. with somebody else. Do you think in your role, you could bring up things like this and be like, yo, this is totally not accessible. Oh, well, like, I, you know, I'm hoping that we'll be able to do some work. Some of the work that we're tasked with is to try and help increase access for adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities and adults with mobility impairments. So, you know, increasing access means not just physical access, but also helping to increase competencies. So, you know, we're, we're talking about, are there ways that we could do provider trainings um, to help, reduce uh, the stereotypes that and the, the ableism that medical professionals may have around health promotion for people with disabilities. Yeah. You know, because when we go to the doctors, we go as whole people. I'm not going just because of my disability. You know, when I walk into my primary care doctor for my annual physical, and by walk, I mean roll, when I go in there, <laughs> I'm not just there to talk about my disability. I'm there to think about, okay, I'm approaching 49 now. So in addition to my mammogram, what other preventive health screening should we be talking about? The colonoscopy, now that the risk guidelines, or I'm sorry, the screening guidelines changed for average risk, you know? um, Yeah. And and I need my providers to see all of me, not just the shiny red chair attached to my ass. Yeah, yeah. You gotta see all of me. Maybe when you put a, if you put a, a pamphlet together, that could be the quote that you put in the front. You need to see all of me, not just a shiny red chair. Don't my ass. <laughs> uh, well, you know, yeah. 
but I think, you know, I think, again, I think the work you're doing and, and trying to get healthcare providers to look at their ableism, that's going to be an uphill slog because. Of, of like, course it is. Of course it is. But so I don't know about you, but I have always, for luck of, you know, where I've lived and where I've gone to, to doctors, my neurologist has always been at a teaching hospital. And so I've gone in and I've been helping to educate medical providers my whole life because I've seen doctors who are being trained, you know, at these appointments that I've had. I used to go to upstate in Syracuse, New York, and now I go to Albany Medical in Albany, New York, and they're both teaching institutions. So a lot of times when I go to see my doctors, I have students that are seeing me as well. And I will always talk to them about, listen, don't assume these things about your patients that are coming in to see you. And don't talk to me like I'm not an equal part of this team because I know more about my body than you do just picking up a file and reading it. Yeah. I'm the expert on me. And if you're not going to treat me as the expert on me, we're going to have problems and we're going to need to talk a little bit. <laughs> I like how like no nonsense. You're like, no, I don't have time for bullshit. We're just, this is what it is. Well, because, you know, who else is going to be the expert on me? You know this. Yeah. You are the expert on you. I if you say something about your body's not right, I'm going to trust you on it. Because yeah. you know you. Yeah. And I you think know? I like that you take the time to to sit with those students and you know to go to teaching hospitals and be like this is, I, I I want to use my my lived experience to guide you because they really need somebody to to gently knock the ableism out of their heads and be like, yo, the thing, the stuff you're doing is ableist. Let's work on it together. You you can't come in screaming because they won't listen to you. But if you gently are like, hey, doctors, you're being ableist. Let's work. Like maybe when you do the pamphlet, what you do is like you say, let's recognize your ableism as a doctor. Let's go. Let's talk about it. Well, I mean, we all have internalized ableism, right? So like. It, just because I'm disabled doesn't mean I didn't have it. Yeah, no, of course. Because I grew up in a family of non-disabled siblings and parents. And, you know, the the thing that I remember is being told that you have to walk for as long as you possibly can. Because the goal is to stay out of a wheelchair. Which, you know, I look back on it now. It, there's so much struggling that I did because it was keep Denise out of a wheelchair. Keep her walking for as long as she could. And, yeah. you know, and then I avoided using a power wheelchair for a long, long time. And for what? To prove that I didn't need it? it no. Like, yeah. I started using a power wheelchair years before I ever did. And once I did finally start using a power wheelchair, I said to all my friends and family, you were right. I should have done this years ago. <laughs> and I will tell you all, you were right. I should have done this years ago. Because it wasn't such an energy saver. And finally... I had the ability to go places on my own that I couldn't do on my own when I was using a manual chair. Say that one more time, just for all the people who think that wheelchairs are bad and wheelchairs are prisons and wheelchairs are awful. One more time. Uh, yeah, sure. So my wheelchair was liberating. When I finally got a power wheelchair, it was freeing because I was finally able to do things on my own that I couldn't do before. Do you hear that? People on Twitter who think wheelchairs are bad, they're not. See how great they are? I mean, it was just such a great thing for me that I could go for walks outside on my own and not worry about, well, how steep is the slope? 
And is there a curb cut that goes really all the way down to the ground? Or am I going to get a lip that I can't get my chair over? Or right. is there going to be a tree root that's in the middle of this sidewalk that I can't get over? I mean, we live in the Northeast. There's frost and upheaval. Yeah. Nothing's really flat. You know no, that. No. <laughs> Bumpy and horrible. Right. So it just, but I had to become okay with that. You know, I had to shape, transfer my view, you know, and kind of change my view of what the chair was in order to be um, okay with it. Yeah. In order to be okay with it. Exactly. I want to back up a little bit because we kind of dove right in. I want to back Sorry. up. Back, oh no, I love it. I, I was totally into it. Then I was like, wait, we did last wait. So, so get it. So I want to back up a little bit. Um, can we back up to just you? Can you describe your disability for me? Of and course. how it impacts your day-to-day life? Yep. So I use a power wheelchair for all of my mobility. I have um, spinal muscular atrophy, uh, which is a um, progressive neuromuscular disease. And uh, I used to be able to walk short distances, and now I use a wheelchair all of the time. I do require assistance with daily tasks, like getting out of bed, getting dressed, um, showering, uh, making food. And so I receive 63 hours of home care a week. Um, and I use a self-directed program. So I recruit, train, supervise, and manage the staff that work in my home. And um, that's a, it's a government-funded program. It's a Medicaid-funded program that's available um, in my state. That's awesome. Um, yes. Now, I don't hire or fire or manage the staff in my home. They just kind of come to me and I deal with it. Oh. But but is 63 hours a lot of time? It, it averages out to nine hours a day. Okay. I mean. Um, you know, it's like, it, it, for me, it's a, a, you know, a morning shift and an evening shift usually. And then yes. um, a, a couple of days during the week where I might have somebody come, uh, you know, in the middle of the day, like to do cleaning and laundry and, um, yeah. you know, working from home is nice now because I can have, it opens up uh, the options of when people can come to do the work. So I'm not just able to have people here on the weekends if I needed somebody here. Um, you know, I'm in the house a couple of days during the week too. Um, that's yeah. great. That's, that's and, you know, they help me with everything, everything. They're my arms and legs. They do everything oh, for me. Oh, I know. I know exactly yeah. that. I'm, I'm in you a very know. similar spot to you. So so yeah. I totally get it. I totally understand. Um, yeah. One of the things I want to ask about, because I know with my care, I know how, first of all, I know how intimate the care relationship is and how, yes. like, important it is and also how exhausting yeah. it is. Even yeah. if I like the person, I'm like, this is tiring. This is a lot. Like, well, it's you're on. I mean, for me, I describe self-direction as I am the CEO of me. So like Denise is the corporation. And in order for Denise to work, to function, somebody needs to be the head of the corporation. So I'm the head of the corporation and the people that I employ, my staff, they're the people that make the corporation work. And then there's an organization or a fiscal intermediary that is like my payroll company. And they're my fiscal partner they process wages and benefits. So my staff get paid. But, you know, during the work day, I'm on 
because I wake yeah. up and somebody's in my house to help me get out of bed. And then I leave and I go to work and then I'm at work all day. And then I come home and shortly thereafter, somebody's in my house to help me with making dinner, you know, doing all the evening stuff and helping me go yeah. to bed. So I'm not alone during the week other than the 15 minutes I'm in my car driving to and from my office. Wow. Hold on. So you only get 15 minutes. Right. So you only get like 30 minutes a day of you time. Right. Like when I'm not with other people. Yeah. Around somebody else. Yes. Yeah. Do you find, yeah. as a disabled person, like I'm also an introverted extrovert. So I need a lot of like my social battery dies a lot. Do you find that exhausting? I find when I do care with care, like I, they're all great and I appreciate them. And I'm so thankful that they're there, especially during the hellfire that has been the pandemic. But you know, at some point I'm like, okay, I can't, I don't, I wish you would just leave. Well, so it depends because they're all, you know, they have different personalities. So I try to find people that are going to work with me. So like Tina, she's my primary morning person and she's the best morning person. And for me, the right morning person makes all the difference in the world. I, I don't know about you, but if I don't wake up with the right morning person in my house, like I can't have drama. I can't have somebody be too perky. You know, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm exactly right. I'm so but, like you. I need somebody right in the middle and I need somebody to like, there, there are a couple of people here and I, again, I love them all, but there's a few people here that are, they want to ask me questions from the minute my eyes open to the minute they're done the booking. And I have to be like, and I've said, I've said this to them a few times. You're great. And I'm very grateful you're here, but you don't need to make everything a question. Like, there's one person that will come in here, and if you're listening, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Uh, <laughs> they're great, but also, like, they will say, like, okay, do you want the lights turned on? Do you want your covers off? Do you want... And it's like, you know what the, you know what a normal right, You know routine. what the routine is. We've yeah. been doing it this way for years. Yeah. It hasn't changed overnight. Yeah. yeah. And I yeah. get why, but I'm also like, whoa. And then there are some, there are some that come in and they want to, like, talk and I'm like it's 8 30 in the morning I don't I'm not awake ready to go to like 10 o'clock so oh. so them being there at 8 30 is like okay I'll deal with this but like I'm not awake yet oh by 10 I'm on to my second or third cup of coffee <laughs> I before COVID when I was able to get to the pool to go swimming I would routinely get up at 5 15 because I had to leave my house at 6 15 and yeah. I get to the pool by 6.45 so I could be ready at 7 when it opened. So, you know, that was, that was I'm, my thing. I, I miss the pool. I miss being able to oh, swim. I, I, I so haven't miss it, yes. done it in a year. Well, haven't done it before the pandemic because for me, I need somebody in the water to yes. make sure I don't die, basically. And so Exactly. And that's one of the things my personal assistants would do. Oh, that's great because like I, me trying to find somebody to go in the water with me and do all the stuff, yep. you know, you have to put so much trust in them. And so I just haven't swam in like, I want to say almost seven years. Oh yeah. See for me, I have, once I get to know my personal assistants and I know more of their strengths too, then I will schedule them accordingly. So Esther is one of my evening people and she's phenomenal. And hopefully she's not going to hear this, but Esther's not always, fast you know like esther takes her time to get through the routine and i can handle that at night 
But if I have to get up somewhere in the morning, she would be the last person I would want. Because yeah. when I get up in the morning, I'm ready to go. I'm like, let's go. Let's move. Let's do this. Because I don't get up super early to take my time. I get yeah. up and I hit the ground running. Um, you know, and Tina and Brooke are good at that. They're, they're normally my morning people. And they're fantastic. Um, but once you get somebody trained, then it's okay. I had one PA and every day was day one with her. She just did. Oh no. Every day was the starting day. Every day was day one with her. And, and, and it was to the point where I would say, okay, I know I need to be looking for somebody else to take over from her, but she was very reliable. She always came in, but it was just every day was day one. And, and we ended up ending our relationship, not in a good way. She, she, um, she dropped me. She was helping me transfer. Oh, that, and, I, I remember that. I remember yeah, seeing that on result, social media. I ended up breaking my femur, which you should never do, by the way. Don't break your femur. I'll make a uh, note. Don't break Don't either. break your femur. Uh, so that was why we ended up working together. But I had been looking for someone prior to the femur break. And I, I just, when you know it's the right person, you know. And when you know it's not right, there's nothing sometimes you can do to fix that. And yeah. sometimes, you know, the great thing is, because I use a self-directed program, I can say, I don't want you anywhere near me. You know, sorry, we're, we're ending See, this relationship. Yeah, where I live and the kind of care that I have, I can complain and bitch and moan and say, this person doesn't work. Can you like not schedule them? And then then I'll get pushed back with, well, we have to learn to work with everyone. And it's like, oh, but I'm 38. I don't want to work with everyone. Like, I would like those people to have to sit in our position. Yeah. With someone that they don't like with someone who makes them uncomfortable and let that person put your underwear on. Sit yeah. naked with that person and yeah. let that person put your underwear on you <laughs> and tell me yeah. how that works and how that feels. Because if I don't get the right to have a say over who is touching my body and who is providing my care and who is coming close enough to be in my sphere. Literally. Like, you know, then that means you're not, I feel more disabled. If you take that away from me. Yeah. Yeah. I fully understand. And one of the things I know we were going to talk about today was like the, the struggle of feeling touched out by always being touched by caregivers and always being touched by care workers. And I couldn't resonate with that anymore. Like that was, I was so excited to chat to you about this because I live it every day and I know how hard it is to let somebody touch you with gloves on and a whole suit and the whole thing. And then all you want is somebody to actually touch you because they want to. Right. It's having somebody touch you because they're delivering care is not the same thing as having somebody just reach over, you know, and pat you on the hand or put an arm around you. Yeah. Or, you know. Shake your hand or even hug you. Exactly. Exactly. Or give you a high five or, you know, whatever. And I don't know if you experienced this, but. Sometimes I'll meet people and it's like, okay, we're afraid to touch her. Do we try to give her? And like, so maybe not since the pandemic, because nobody likes to hug these days, but at least before the pandemic, it was, do I try to shake her hand? Do I give her a fist bump? Do I try and hug her? Do I look at her? Like, do I, what do I, yeah. What do I do next? Right? Like, I'm not going to break. I mean, all joking about the femur fracture aside, (laughs) I'm really not going to break. 
Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I can't lift my arms very high. So I can't, you know, wrap my arms around somebody to hug them easily. When people help me transfer in and out of my wheelchair, my personal assistants have to come into me and kind of lift my arms up around their neck. Yeah. You know, to, I use a slide board to help me transfer. Oh, cool. Item from one area to the next. And so they'll kind of, you know, slide the board underneath me. And then I put my arms around their neck and then they'll stand facing me, kind of hug my knees with their knees. And Is the slide board like that thing that twists around, that thing you yes. stand up and you twist and then you sit? Similar, yes. Yeah. It's it's like one of those swivelly devices on yeah. the board that slides from one seat to the next. Yeah. Because I, oh. I mean, I can't even do that. I have a full, like, hold your lift sling right. situation. Uh, not a hold your lift, track lift track, yep. situation in my home. So, but yeah, even that, like, they have to touch you to put the sling on. They right. have to touch you to take your shirt off. They have to touch you to have a shot. Like, all these, all this touch. And right. it can get so lonely because every time they touch you, they have to put a glove on, which is fine. And I, I like that boundary. It's good. But also, like, <laughs> You're just like, fuck, when is someone going to touch you without a glove? It's, it made me realize when I was watching, I don't even remember the show I was watching. I was watching a movie. I, I don't, I don't remember what the movie was, but I was sitting there watching it going, how long has it been that somebody's done that to me? Like, you know, they were like running their fingers through somebody's hair or something. Yeah. And, you know, okay. So people wash my hair frequently. They're frequently running you know, and I have longer hair than you do. So, you know, they're, for, for people who don't know, my hair is like down to the middle of my back. I have long, dark hair. So, you know, people run their fingers through my hair when they're helping me wash, but that's not the same as like, you know, somebody laying next to you and cuddling and just running their fingers through your hair. Yeah, because they wanted to. Right, right. And, and I don't know. I couldn't tell you when the last time somebody did that to me. I mean, the last time someone did that to me, I had to pay for it with the sex workers. So, like, they did it for me. But, again, it was transactional. And, like, it it was nice. But it wasn't like you wanted to. It was like I had, you did it for me. But I definitely gave you money for that to happen. So, like, for me, I don't know when the last time somebody did it because they wanted to. Right. And, and that – everything is a transaction. So – when, you know, when they're working for you, that's a transaction. You know, they're touching you so that they can do their job. Yeah. You know, you hiring somebody to be with you in that way. That's still a transaction. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you, you have to do a lot of mental, and I, I love sex workers and they're great, but, but you know, you have to do a lot of mental gymnastics as a disabled person yes. to be okay with the fact that, yep, I'm paying someone X one dollars an hour to do this for me. Like, and you eventually get over it and you deal with it and you do it and it's fine. But there is a small part of me that's like, gee, I wish somebody would do that just because. And I think that because sometimes we're starved for that or because we, we seek that, you know, as humans, we want connection, right? Like it's normal for us to want that connection with someone else. And, yep. you know, people with disabilities don't always have that growing up you know if if the only thing you know as a person with a disability is people touching you either in a medical setting or in a care setting but not in a physical relationship 
Yeah. Then and you we might are... seek that out from areas that it's not the safest and kindest for you. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's not good either. Like you might allow yourself to get into relationships that are not safe, that are not kind, that are not that right. are really anyway, like I've done that. I've settled for so many so such bad touch because I was starved. And I think we need to, you know, we as a society, but especially in the disability community, we need to talk about that more because we do it we do it all the time. And I know that that's something that you've experienced too. I, yeah, and you know, and I think it's okay to say, all right, you know what, I was younger then. And I did this and I'm not proud of it, but I'm, I can understand why I did it. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, I've certainly made some, looking back on it, some foolish decisions that it was like, whoa, thank goodness I walked out of there okay. <laughs> yeah, like, you how know? did I get out of that one all right? Yeah, that that maybe wasn't the best thing in the world for me to have done. Um, You know, but it was like, oh, it was a tension and it was a feel-good moment. And, you know... I wasn't able to see that, or maybe I didn't think I deserved better because of where I was at that stage. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I know when I was younger, I didn't think I was going to have boyfriends. I didn't think I would get asked out. You know, I don't remember feeling that way, but I recently, I think I told you, I recently discovered some of my old journals and I was reading through them and, you know, the angst of, oh my goodness, being a teenager and thinking, Nobody's ever going to find me attractive because of my disability. And, you know, I don't remember feeling that way, but I did obviously feel that way because I wrote it in my journals. I have pages of this. And nobody saw me as a potential dater because I didn't see myself as somebody that anybody would want to date. Yeah. And I mean, you know? I, I think a lot of that comes down to that. And we, I think we all live with that. Like I'm, I turned 38 upon this recording yesterday. So oh. like, so like, I, and I, but I sometimes still feel like that teenager who's like, no one's going to ask me out. No one's going to date me. I'm not valuable enough. And I think that messaging and then internalized ableism is so strong. What were some of the messages other than, other than just like, you didn't think people would date you. What is some of the internalized ableism that you've kind of had to, had to, to manage? Oh, I used to care a lot about, um, what I looked like in certain clothes. So I have arm contractures. And so my elbows don't extend straight. Yep. And I used to care a great deal about, you know, making sure that the sleeves weren't too long, that, you know, they weren't too short, that, you know, that one arm didn't look more bent than the other. And everybody was looking at me. I was convinced that everybody was looking at me about things. And, you know, yep, we're humans. We're known to differences. So probably people were noticing me because I'm different, you know, but I'm sure that people weren't staring at me to the level that I thought they were. Of course not, but you know, but I, you know, and eventually you just, well, at least I did have this grown up moment where I was like, Oh, who the F cares? You know, like I'm going to wear what I feel comfortable in. I don't care. You know, turning 40 was a great moment for me. Because I was just like, I don't care anymore. I just, you know, I also almost died six months before I turned 40. So that was also. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. That was another good reason to be like, I don't care. I'm still here. Whatever. I'm not going to be caught up on on little things anymore. But. I think. You know, once I had. Sorry. 
Sorry. I think you either told me about that or I, I, you had mentioned it somewhere on social media. Can you share a bit about that story? So, uh, oh, the, the first time almost dying? Sure. Um, so. <laughs> the first, uh, how many times were there? A couple. Um, too many, unfortunately. Uh, so I had gallbladder surgery in 2013. It was supposed to be very routine, you know, outpatient surgery. And I ended yeah. up having to stay in the hospital for a couple of days. And um, I got sick after the surgery. They suspect I probably aspirated on some of my vomit and I got pneumonia and uh, I got very sick. And then um, while I was sleeping, I took off my BiPAP, my breathing machine that I wear at night and didn't realize that I had taken it off. So when they were doing rounds, they found me and I was unresponsive. Um, Uh. So they had to bag me and intubate me and, uh, you know, bring me back, so to speak. And I was in a coma for a few days uh, before I finally came to. around um and thankfully knock on wood i'm okay um but you know uh i scared my family for a little bit and i didn't mean to but you know having had that happen uh i I had an amazing near-death experience when it happened and i came to and i just thought okay i'm still here for a reason i don't know what it is but i better get to doing it uh and figuring it out so that i can can say that i've done it um so that just kind of, I always was rather a, a live in the moment kind of person, I thought to begin with. And then that just really helped me say, I don't care. I'm, I'm doing this now for me. Um, I'm going to be free with my feelings and with my emotions and tell people how I feel about them while I can. And, uh, you know. That's and, something I have to learn from you because I am the shyest, coyest, but like, I know people listening are like, Andrew, what we hear, we listen to your show every week and you're so like, not that person. But really, underneath all that, I'm so shy and I'm so fucking awkward. And I never tell people what I actually mean because I'm scared of like hurting them or them being afraid of me and running away. So like, I think I have to take that lesson from you and use it every day. You know what you have to do? You have to practice. And so for me, it was just, what's the worst thing in the world if I approach somebody? And I say hi to them, nothing, you know, and what's going to happen? Probably yeah. nothing. And, and so I just started randomly doing that. And I would, you know, my, my friend, Stephanie, who you met and I, my best friend, we joke that we can make friends anywhere because, you know, we'll be in line waiting at the, at, at the airport to check in our baggage. And by the time we've gotten up to the gate to board, we are best friends with the people that were behind us. Because, <laughs> you know, good. we're just that way. And um, I, I see it as connection building, you know, yeah. building your network, especially if you're a disabled person, is very important. Because if COVID hasn't taught us anything, it's that nobody else out there is going to care for us. It's up yep. to us to take care of ourselves. Yep. And one of the ways to do that is to build your network and to gather the people around you that you need so that you can get through whatever you need to get through. And um, I'd rather have way too many people in my phone to have options than to not have enough. And yeah, really who can't use a little more love and caring in their life. Right. I mean, I mean you're, it's your, for anybody you're... who doesn't need that. Um, so as far as 
reaching out to people. I just practiced. I, I went out with friends and I would just go up randomly to people when I was younger and, you know, just randomly start talking to them because it was like, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And when you did that, you know, cause I know when we, when people start, uh, sometimes when people start or when they look at us, when we talk to them, they get all afraid of the disability. Did you find that people did that a lot? Or if you approach them, were they more open to it? You got to pick your, you got to pick your people. So if you paste a smile on your face, the people that look away from you in fear are not going to be the people you're going to go up to. You're going to go up to the people that smile back, even if they are or look like they would be the least likely to engage, you know, like if they, if, if they give you an opening, you take it, you know, and, and, you know, and you just slide right up and you, uh, you, you, you take advantage of the opening. Yeah. And I found that works for, it works for flirting. (laughs) Um, you know, with a cute guy that you might see and somewhere it works. I don't know if it works with women. I would assume so. Uh, but you know, I've never tried to flirt with women, so I don't know. Um, I, it works when you are, uh, out in a store and you need help with something and, and some, you can't reach something. Um, it, it help. it works when you are waiting for public transportation and, um, you need to know what time it is. Cause you can't get to your phone or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a smile goes a long way at disarming people. I think it's a good skill. And it's one that I honestly have to try more because I have a lot of internalized ableism of like, um, Oh my God, they're not going to like me because I'm disabled. So I can't approach them. And like, I, yeah, so I definitely have to take a note from your book and, and try that. Well, and I don't know if, so there's a lot of different schools of thought about, you know, daily affirmations and whether they work or not, but you have to change the, the thought process in your head, Yes. you know, because if you're telling yourself internally, I can't do this, then you're right. You can't. But if you're telling yourself, you know what? I deserve the same thing as everybody else. Then it makes it easier to make that happen. Yeah. I mean, it's a hard spot to get to. Yeah. And, so, and some days I do that and some days I'm the worst at it. So yep. I'm working on it. I'm a, I'm a gimp in progress, but. That's okay. You can, I can be your backup. I can be your uh, tech support. All right. I'll, uh, <laughs> I will use you as my tech support. Yeah. That's not one a problem. Of the, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was, you know, other than changing the mindset in your mind about like your own self-image, mm-hmm. Because we don't see a lot of positive representation of disability in the media, yep. how do you maintain such a happy-go-lucky, um, not necessarily happy-go-lucky, but like a positive... An optimistic? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can blame my mother for that. Uh, Dolly is uh, the most optimistic person that I know. And um, honestly, it, it, every day is a gift for her. And, um, and that's something that she taught me too. you know, every day you get up, you get the chance to do it again and you say, thank you because I've been given another chance. Um, and also I had people 
telling me that it was possible. Uh, so I will never forget um, the first guy I ever like really dated and that I was ever actually physically intimate with. Um, I was ready to like tear myself down. You know, I, I was, my stomach wasn't flat enough and uh, my arms are too skinny. And, um, and he said, no, Denise, uh, you know, these are the things that are attractive about your body. And what's more, these are the things that are attractive about you as a person. And so anybody that you grant the opportunity to be with you in this intimate space is lucky enough to get access to all of this. Wow. Was this the, was this the other, I know you wrote in the farm that there was a disabled person you. No, this was not him. Wow. No, this was not him. Um, this, this was Barry and, uh, and you know, that did wonders for my self-esteem, honestly, you know, and then I realized, okay, um, you know, listen, genetics gave me good boobs and (laughs) straight guys like boobs, you know, and I got a great pair. If, so. there was, if there was ever a great tagline, a great title for an episode, I think we just got it. I think there it oh, is no. right there. No, 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 no. It doesn't have to be that. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll look for another one. But inside my head, I want it to be that one so much. <laughs> no, please don't make it that. Oh, okay, I, won't. I can I won't. just imagine my sister. <laughs> and my mother. Oh, no. So I, as an aside, so I'm a writer, uh, you know, in, in another hat that I wear. And I have been involved with something called Brava, uh, which is a fundraising opportunity for um, the local YWCA. Uh, When you want to donate clothes to a women's shelter, you must donate brand new undergarments. They're not allowed to accept, you know, used undergarments for- Of course. Of course, right? So um, a local writer, Marion Roach Smith, started a program called Brava to raise bras for women at this domestic violence shelter. I love that idea. Yes. And so what they did was they asked writers to submit memoir about bras and their place in our lives. And so I have written five memoir pieces about bras, probably more than I ever thought I was going to write about bras. Yeah. Um, so, but the, you know, their piece is called just the bra for this unruly underwire uh, the bra I wore. So I, you know, there's five pieces that I wrote. Uh, so I often write about bras and, and their place in our lives and, and what that means. So I know that I'm quite literally sitting under a gold mine because that's a line that I use in one of those memoirs. Well, there's the title um, of the episode right there. Sitting under a gold mine. There it is. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so to answer your question, I knew that I had something that was attractive to people that I could, you know, play off of. And I wasn't afraid to, to show use a little it. cleavage every now and then. Yeah. You know, why not? You gotta, you gotta take advantage of what you have. I don't have legs that go on for days. You know, I'm never going to be able to dance a tango and look amazing on the dance floor. Me neither. You know, I'm never going to be able to, um, you know, dance on a pole, you know, or swing my leg casually over somebody's lap 
and sling down their body. No, I mean, I'm not. I'm going to be able to um, hopefully get their help to help me wrap my arms around their shoulders. Tell me a little bit about this relationship with the other disabled person that you dated a little bit. You know, we met um, and I didn't think that it was going, we actually met. He called me on the phone and we had a very long conversation because when he called me, this is a true story. I had laundry on my lap and this is back when we had like phones in our house and not yeah. phones. remember those days and I, I went running for the actual phone in the cradle and picked it up and all of the laundry went spilling out of my lap oh so, no yes one of the bras got stuck in the front caster of my wheel the underwire when I turned the wheel actually got picked up and twisted between the front fork like you know the fork of the caster and yeah. the wheel hole. So it was like pinning the caster and the wheel would not spin. So yeah. I was held hostage <laughs> by my pink underwire bra. Oh no. And I couldn't go anywhere. And so I just kept talking to him thinking, how do I get out of this? Like, do I tell him that I'm stuck? Like I eventually yeah. ended up taking off the armrest of my manual chair, using it to fling my dirty pants over towards my dresser where my scissors were and (laughs) swinging the, I got the scissors to fall into the laundry basket and I pulled the laundry basket over to me with the armrest and then I cut the bra to shreds. And that is some MacGyvery. That is some like. MacGyvery got nothing on me. Let me tell you. (laughs) I have always called myself the female, female MacGyver. And yeah, so that's another one of the bra memoirs is called Unruly Underwire. You got the abridged version. Amazing. Um, so we talked for an hour and a half and he thought I was wonderful because I could just keep talking to him. Because <laughs> you were stuck there. And didn't I was stuck there and I couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. And and we went out. That He asked me if I wanted to go out with him for coffee that weekend. And then we, you know, I saw him and I was like, oh, thank God he's cute. Because at that point in time, I'm like, we've talked for so long. You better be cute. Yeah. And he was, and then and, and we started dating. And and it was weird for him. He had never dated somebody else who used a wheelchair. Um, so we had to learn, like, you know, how do we go places together? Do we take separate vehicles? Do we try and get in the same car? You know, because he couldn't get in my car, and I I was able to get in his as long as I used a manual chair that right. I could pull up out of the way. It was, it was, you know, and then we had to figure out sexually what could he feel because he was paralyzed. So there were parts of his body that he couldn't feel. So yeah. I had to figure out like what he could feel and what felt good for him. And he had to figure out what he could physically do to help me. Um, yeah, it was. Um, so like, was it? A lot of I, open communication. A yeah. lot of communication. Yeah. A lot of how, yeah. How do you like get to, because I only slept with one other person with a, with a disability years yeah. ago. And it was horrible for me. I didn't, they weren't great. It oh, wasn't right. awesome. The person told me that I was too much work for them. So, oh, how awful! Yeah, it was. It was pretty rough. So, how did you? How do you get to a place of, other than being trapped by your wheelchair and by your unruly underwire bra? How yeah. do? You, how do you get to a place where you foster 
open communication enough with another disabled person to have that relationship work. Well, so it's, you have to say, okay, this is my body and this is what my body does. And, you know, so at the time, like now I have a super pubic catheter. At the time I didn't have a super pubic catheter, but he wore a condom catheter to manage his urine yeah. and a leg bag. And so, you know, we, we talked open and, and he had a bowel program that he did. And, you know, and I knew about that because I had friends who were paralyzed. So in actuality, it was kind of good because we knew what disability life was like. Yeah. You know, and I knew what it was to try and avoid a pressure sore. And, you know, I knew what it was like to try and prevent further contractures. Um, you know, I knew what it was like to try and make sure that when you got out of the shower, you were getting all the moisture out of your crotch before you sat in it all day long. Yeah. You know, I mean, let's face it. What wheelchair user doesn't think about that? Oh my God. I think about it all the time. Every day when I shower, I'm like, oh my God, I got to get out of there because. Hair dryer. Gonna... The hair dryer is your friend. Isn't it great? Somebody mentioned yeah. that to me a couple of years ago and I love it so much after a shower. Because first of all, you put it on the hot and you're like, it's kind of warm. It's sort of nice. I like it. Yes. Yes. And you're dry. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not like sitting in. Moisture. Moisture. Yeah. Yeah. And, and worrying about fungus and stuff where you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and so then, you know, it was just a matter of, well, what can your body do? You know, like my body can do this. If we pull our chairs up next to each other, can we kiss? Can we hug each other? Okay. Well, you can reach me here. If I'm behind you, what do I reach? And it was just trying, you know, a variety of different things. And it was seeing what would work. And we always joked because we both, when we started dating, we both had quickie wheelchairs. And and we both kind of joked and like, you know, said, do you think that Quickie ever had this in mind? Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when they talked about like removable armrests and foot pedals that swung away. And, yeah, of know. course, uh, but hilarious. They should, yeah. Maybe they should know. Maybe yeah. Quickie, Quickie and Permobile and all those companies should have like a sexy division. I'm sure that they weren't envisioning it for what we did with them. But, you know, it worked. We, you find ways to be creative. Yeah. You know, and. Listen, sex is not just insert part A into part B. No. Mm-mm. You know, intimacy is open and honest communication. Intimacy yep. is not a physical touch. Intimacy is knowing what gives your partner pleasure and being willing to do that for them because you know it's what brings them pleasure. Yeah. Or, you know, intimacy is also, I think, you know, with my disabilities, I, I'm cropping them collecting disabilities as i go it's so fun but uh you know with mine i i have not only do i have cp i have ibs and so part of my intimacy intimacy with with people that i sleep with is like you know what let me tell you how my ibs will affect this let me tell you how my bathroom routine works so you understand if something happens don't run away yes right right and you know now i have a permanent hole in my body which i didn't have before but you know like oh well you know this is what makes me independent you know like this is what makes it easier for me to live my life and if you can't handle the fact that i have this plastic tube laying beside me then i don't want to be intimate with you yeah that's a deal breaker for you okay that's your issue to deal with not mine yeah exactly and i think you know i i I think, you know, we talked earlier about 
settling for people that don't understand us. I think sometimes my own internalized ableism has forced me to do exactly the opposite of what you just said, which is like, instead of saying, if you can't do it with my catheter, get the fuck out, I would say, oh, all right, I'll figure out a way to move it. I'll figure out a way to have it not be there. No. Screw that. Yeah. Yeah, Think no, of me, I got to be the voice in your head now. Remember. <laughs> I just Remember, I'm, to... a, I'm a loud mouth brash New Yorker. Screw that. I, yeah, I just need you to record me an audio clip of you saying screw that a bunch. I'll explain over sure. and over again. Sure. Amazing. Perfect. Um, so that relationship ended, but I'm so glad that it gave you, like, it gave you, it, it showed you different parts of yourself. But you also mentioned that since that ended, you kind of thrown yourself into online dating. After that ended, I threw myself into the online dating world. Yes. Um, and, and I went out on a lot of dates in one year and, and I kept notes because I became really good at being like a serial first dater and, you know, because meeting new people is a skill and talking about people and putting people at ease. But then I'd be like, Oh, did I already tell this story to this person? So I would like come home after a first date and I would write down what we talked about and where we'd been and little things about the date to help me remember in case I had a second date with that person. So I would remember and I would look back up. If I went on a second date and a couple of times I did have second dates and I, I, I didn't get a love connection out of any of the 54 dates that I went on in, oh, no. but I did get a couple of kisses, um, and a couple of, of good, you know, visit times. People. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it really was very, I became very jaded after a while because there's only so many times you can hear, I just don't know if I can handle your disability. Which was awesome. Oh, and I would just be like, yeah. okay, you know, you know what? You just don't want to date me. I get it. You could just say, we're not a match. You don't have to keep throwing in my face. The fact that you don't want to date me is the one thing in life I have no control over. I mean, right? even, if I, that is, even if that is the reason, why the fuck do they feel it's okay for, for them to tell you? Why do you have to know that every time? Why? Right. Just, you know, we're not a match. Because if... I were to tell somebody, I would just say, I'm sorry. I just don't feel the same way about you. Or I don't feel like this is going to be something that goes any further than us being friends. And, you know, thankfully I haven't had to do that that much because the majority of the time people are telling me, well, I just can't deal with your chair. And and that was honestly what I would hear over and over and over again. When a and guy I, said that to you, like, what did, what did you say back? Well, I would say, thanks for telling me now. Before I got to know anything else about you. Well, it would depend. Sometimes I would be nice. Depend on the day. Sometimes I would be nice. Sometimes <laughs> I would be like, you know what? Your ignorance is more disabling than my physical disability will ever be. I think I said that to a couple of people. Good for you. Uh, and I... I didn't, there was one person I didn't even say anything to. I just said, have a good night. And I walked away. Good for you. got in my car. Um, because what, what do you say? You don't say anything. And you know, they always do it in that stammery sort of like, oh, well, oh, so the thing is, uh, I, I can't deal with your 
disability and then you're they want you to go oh that's okay i totally get it it's all right. right that's what they want that's exactly what they want and i never did that at least i don't remember ever doing that good because yeah. well and knowing you know knowing a little bit about your personality i would be surprised if you ever did do that <laughs> yeah no and and you know when i was younger my dad so I've always been a little bit outspoken and I've always been, um, doesn't surprise me in the least, but okay. Right. Uh, so my, my dad actually used to set me aside and go, Oh, Nisi, he was the only person in the world that ever got away with calling me Nisi. And he would just be a Nisi, it's going to take a special man to love you. And it took me a while to realize that it wasn't the compliment that I might've thought it was. And that like, sometimes I'm a difficult person to love. Because he would usually be saying this to me when I was being stubborn and being obstinate and, you know, just putting my foot down and being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, Nisi, it's going to take a special man to love you. <laughs> and, but you know what? He's right. It is going to take a special person to love me. And I have had love in my life and I have had great relationships with people. And if it happens again, that's wonderful. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. If it's meant to happen, it will happen. Yeah, I think I think what you said there is really important for a lot of disabled people to hear. If you know, if you don't ever get that whirlwind romance relationship, because a lot of us are in situations where that might not happen for any of us ever, and like you reach a point now where, I mean, I'm a little bit younger than you, but I'm getting up there. I'm getting close to forty now, so you know, you reach a point now where you're like, oh fuck it, what's it doesn't if it happens, great, and if not, whatever. I'm. There's too much of life I want to share and enjoy. And so if you wait for life to come to you, I guarantee you it will not. But if you get out there and become a part of life and make life happen for yourself, you never know what's going to come along the way. Yeah. And I just like it. Like, I like how from the minute we hit record and I, we haven't talked in a while, but I forgot how like ballsy you are. And I like that. (laughs) I, I love that you think that. Oh, it's, I fake it really well in those, in those rare instances where I'm thinking, Ooh, really? I, I'm really good at faking it till I make it. Well, you certainly have me fooled because (laughs) you, and I always talk about how, like, you know, people always ask me, how do you get confident? And I'm always like, I'm not confident. And I like how you're like, neither am I, but I fucking fake it and watch me do it. Hey, you have to, it gets easier. The more you practice. It's just like, you know, learning tennis, I guess, or, you know, I don't know. I never learned tennis. Yeah, I mean, either. I was going to say, I, I don't know what that is, but. Violin. I learned violin. It's just like when you learn violin or, you know, when you learn to type or when you learn to crochet or when you learn to paint, you know, the more, the more times you practice your skill or your craft, the easier it is. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm a Toastmasters member as well. So for people who are interested in public speaking, or doing presentations, I often tell them, find a Toastmasters club, learn how to practice speaking. It does get easier the more you practice. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people with disabilities, Toastmasters is a great opportunity because so many of us have been been told to be quiet, told to be compliant, told to not share our feelings, told. So I did Toastmasters for a while, like 10 years ago, and I didn't love the structure of it, so I stopped doing it, but I, I appreciated when it was, when I did it, how valuable it was for some people in the, in the room. It's like, wow, yeah. they really need, they needed this. Yes. 
So I think I have a better title for the episode. I'm ready. And and it was triggered by something you just said. And it's it's on a t-shirt that I have and a sign that hangs in my office at work and some buttons that I have as well. Feisty and non-compliant. <laughs> well, I think I think that will be the one. I like that. I like yes. that. Go with that one because that is that is me. And and that is absolutely, you know, the phrase that is me. Yes. I mean, I could sit and talk with you all day because it was so fun. It was so fun to kind of go into all these different spaces around disability stuff. And is there anything else that you want to mention that we haven't brought up today? Oh, I know we've gone over time and I, I just want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk with you. Um, oh my goodness. I want to have you come back for whenever you want. It was so fun. Anytime absolutely. You want. Absolutely. We should do this again sometime. Yes, and we should. I would really like it for sure. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Andrew. Um, anytime. How can the people get a hold of you? How can they follow you, support you? I am uh, available on social media. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Describes, D-E-E-S-C-R-I-B-E-S. Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm on, you know, I have Instagram just so I can. Um, so you have it? <laughs> well, no, so I can see the pictures of my cute little nieces and nephews. Um that's really why I'm on it. So I can look at it. Oh, pictures. cute. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you don't have to give it, you don't have to give that one out. We'll just stick with the. Yeah. But I'm on LinkedIn as well. And my profiles are all, um, they're all public. I do have a blog that I have not written much in lately and I want to try and, and, and come back to it. Uh, but it may have to wait till after this year, uh, starting in July of 2022, I'm going to be district governor of my local rotary district. So, oh, cool. Uh, I might have to wait for my district governor year to be over before I go back to writing. Okay. Well, you do so much and you do so much for our community and all the stuff you're doing, I think is amazing and really important. And the stuff you talked about today is stuff we don't talk about enough. Um, and thank you for like getting into all the personal stuff around care, because I love talking about that stuff so much because it's my day today and it's your day today. And people don't understand it. And so when we get to chat about it, even for an hour, it's like, wow, it's really important. Yes. Yes, it is. And it could be their day tomorrow. You never know. Yeah. they know, And who knows? So, Denise, this is such a pleasure. I miss chatting with you. It was so great. Thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you, Andrew. Anytime. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I was, of course, your delectable daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening and shining a bright light on disability stories with me. If you want to follow all my work and see all my links and all the cool stuff I'm doing, you can head over to my new website, aagerza.com. And all my stuff is there. My social links are there. My website is there. My podcast is there. Everything is there. And you can follow along with the show that way. If you want to leave a review for the show, please do so wherever you get your podcast. It really does help keep the bright lights shining on this show. If you want to support the show financially and get the show one day early, completely ad-free, as well as a shout-out on the air, consider pledging as little as $1 a month or $5 a month or more by going to patreon.com slash disability after dark. Stay comfy, cozy, and crippled, and we'll shine a bright light on disability stories next time.
Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Crippling Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2022.